podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. much bush light there is in Ames, Iowa right now, but it ain't going to be enough for this weekend. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. I am Philip Slavin, and this is the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. No Chris Ross today. We had some scheduling issues, and look, I'm just going to be up front. This was a fantastic game preview for Iowa, Iowa State. Obviously, we're going to talk Bush Light. We're going to talk Natty Light. We're going to talk about Iowa State. And this weekend's game to decide the Cyhawk Trophy, the 67th meeting of this, is huge. It's huge for the Big 12, and it's huge for Iowa State, and it's a huge game. And this is a, this is a big weekend of games. This is a huge game. Um, and we had a fantastic interview. Levi Stevenson from White Rat Natty Light uh, and Scott Docterman from The Athletic, who covers Iowa for The Athletic. Awesome. Awesome to have him on. So here's the deal. Uh, we have a good chunk of the interview, uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, my uh, shoddy AT&T internet connection and uh, Call Note, the service I use to record this stuff, and I'm going to let you know their names so you know um, not to use them or if you want to go complain to them for me, uh, screwed up the interviews and we've lost uh, about half of it. So when we get to the end, it, it gets a little choppy and it seems a little awkward. And that's because I pretty much had to get rid of most of it. I'm not pleased about it, as you can tell. And we are going to figure out how to get this fixed before Friday's episode because this is the third episode in a row where we've had some some technical issues due to both internet and the uh, audio recording service that we use to get this podcast up three times a week. So I don't want to sit here and gripe about this too much. We do have some good stuff to talk about. We, we get to talk about Titans a little bit. For Iowa, we, we talk about matchups, how uh, strengths and weaknesses for both teams and what you want to keep an eye on. And we talk about Iowa State after after their week one performance, get some details about Iowa. I, I highly doubt most of you have seen Iowa so far this season. I, I haven't, I'll be honest. Um, so it's really good to have Scott on to, to talk about the Hawkeyes. And it's always a pleasure to have Levi on the show. All that said, go ahead and check out the interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. You're going to get quite a bit out of it. It's just not quite as good as it was supposed to be. On the note of being up front, if you have not signed up for ESPN Plus yet, what are you doing? 
Like, seriously, what are you doing? Now's the time to do it. No, there's not a Big 12 game on there this week, but there is going to be West Virginia-Kansas next week. That battle to decide the bottom of the Big 12 is going to be on ESPN+. You're going to want to make sure if you're a Kansas fan or Mountaineer fan, you don't miss the last chance you get to probably see your team win a game. I'm sorry. I know that's man. I'm just, I'm just being blunt. So do me a favor. If you haven't yet, go to our Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Find the tweet pinned to the top. Click that link and get signed up. It helps us out. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and we would really appreciate it. So give us a follow at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Click that link. Get signed up for ESPN+. Plus and get all the awesome Big 12 action available on there now. This Saturday will be the 67th Cy-Hawk. You guys, I don't have it. Showdown, uh, battle. It's, I don't, I don't even, just Cy-Hawk tro- battle for the Cy-Hawk trophy. Okay, hold on a second. Levi, what do you actually call this beyond just the Cy-Hawk trophy? Is there a name for this game? Oh, the whole thing is called the Iowa Corn Cyhawk series, is what it's called. That's long. I'm just we're just gonna it call is. it the Cyhawk Showdown, because that's gonna be so much easier and it has a much better ring to it. So let's just say this is the sixty-seventh showing of the Cyhawk Showdown. And as you as you heard, uh, my favorite guest, uh, the unfiltered man himself, Levi Stevenson, is here to represent uh, the Iowa State side. Uh, and joining us for the first time, and I'm very excited to have him on here, uh, Scott Docterman, who covers Iowa. For the athletics, Scott, welcome to the 1012, man. Hey, I'm glad to be on here and talking to you guys. So I have to do this just real quick. Uh, Levi, this is uh, in honor of you. I wanted to welcome you back to the show uh, in the only way that I know how. My man! Ah. Now, I will preface by saying uh, this is not a natty light. It's um, a bush light. I got you here. So, Well, there you go. This is a, um, it's called a hot tub scholarship logger. There's a backstory on it about it. Basically, there's a scholarship from this beer that helps guys who want to go into the like Oregon State uh, beer degree, uh, brewing degree, which is still the coolest thing ever and, and, and the coolest thing about Oregon State because it's definitely not their football program. Um, but before right. we go too far down the Pac-12 at night uh, hole, as it probably is, this is by far the biggest game of the week for the Big 12. And I, and I could argue... With the expectations for Iowa State, the second biggest game for the Big 12 this year, for a couple different reasons, and and, and I want to start there. This is a game that since Matt Campbell showed up, he is 0-3 in, uh, and it's been the drum I've been banging of, I'm really glad that Iowa State's pulling off upsets and big wins in the Big 12, but you guys haven't been able to beat Iowa, and I would really like for you to. So, Levi, after week one's triple overtime escape from Northern Iowa. Why should we think Iowa State's ready to actually beat Iowa this season? So the first thing that needs to be <clears throat> that needs to be said about the UNI game is that UNI is not an ordinary team. Um, you can ask, you can ask Iowa, you can ask Wisconsin. Uh, UNI is a very difficult out for anybody. Their front seven is a, it's a, their front seven is at least an FBS front seven, if not a power five front seven. Uh, they're very good. If you look at Sagarin ratings, they were actually the third best team that was played that week. Um, they would be you and I is rated higher than both of Iowa's opponents so far. Um, so you and I is not a pushover. They play everybody close every time. They basically never get blown out, even by FBS teams. Um, so for that, from that perspective, I'm not really that worried about it now. And, and 
the the least the less the less interesting side of it is the defense was every bit as good as advertised. It held you and I generally runs the ball very well. They held them to 34 total rushing yards, 1.1 yards a carry, which is very on brand for what we saw last year, where the I was taken is really good at stopping the run. Um, the offensive side of the ball is where most people had their gripes um, because they were expecting to start really to throw it down the field uh, to really push the ball on the field and test out the playmakers, test out the backs, the back end of that United defense. Um, and, but instead they were pretty conservative. They threw lots of underneath routes to Deshante Jones who had 14 catches. Um, you know, so it was, it was more conservative than people were expecting. Um, and in the, you know, it wasn't perfect. So, you know, it wasn't, super polished. They didn't get really aggressive. And that was part of it. That that's what you can expect from a first game. Um, when you don't have a fully fleshed out, uh, you know, offensive game plan and you're still working in, uh, excuse me, new players. And, uh, so I, I'll be honest, like dur- even during the game, I was not nearly as upset or impatient as a lot of people were, because I knew it, I kind of knew what they were doing. Brock Purdy and, and Matt Campbell echoed this after the game too, where Brock Purdy was, he was taking what was given to him. Uh, taking the underneath routes, the running backs actually were they all you know the three guys that av- that got the most carries averaged 4.3 yards a carry, which is certainly respectable. Um, and they actually probably could have more. The line blocked for more yards than that. Um, that's something that'll get better throughout the season too. Um, so while you know you look at 29-26 and three overtimes against an FCS school and you say, wow, if you look at it at the very very surface level, it doesn't look great. Uh, but if you really dive into it, the defense was rock solid against a team that was against uh, a, a redshirt freshman quarterback that turned into Johnny Manziel at the drop of a hat. And that, well, I, I and you could, after the game, everybody is that Will McElvain, that, that kid's good. He's going to be very, he's going to be really good. Um, you can tell why Matt Campbell wanted him on the team because he was in Iowa State walk on commit at one point. But, uh, anyways, you know, sort of wrap that up a little bit, my classic monologues. Um, basically I'm not as worried anywhere near as worried about, um, the offense, uh, based on the last game as, as most people are just cause I know they were pretty conservative. Brock Purdy didn't really run it at all. They did. He didn't, he basically didn't keep it on, not on a read option at all the entire time, but they got it to the tight ends. They got it to the receivers. The running backs had room to run. Um, that, that playbook will open up against Iowa and they'll, they'll try to push the ball a little bit more, I think. So Scott, I, I have to be upfront. I have... I've yet to watch Iowa. Part of that is I'm, you know, I'm a, a Big 12 guy. I got a show to, to prepare for every week. I've got, those are the teams I got to focus on. And and not from any sort of lack of respect for Iowa whatsoever, but so far you guys applied Miami of Ohio and Rutgers, which, I mean, look, I didn't really enjoy watching Iowa State in Northern Iowa, uh, other than the fact that it went to triple overtime. I had to make sure Iowa State escaped. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about Iowa this season? And, you know, they're 19, 2 and 0. Offense hasn't blown either team out, but they seem to have pretty well shut both teams down. What what should Big Twelve fans know about this particular Iowa team? Uh, you know, kind of going looking at it big picture, you could probably pile it in and say this is the same Iowa team you might have seen ten years ago uh, or fifteen <laughs> years ago. The style doesn't change; the people do, and. Uh, when you look at Iowa, they're they're traditionally a four three defense. This year, they were going to switch to a four two five, except for after a half of that, they decided to go back to a four three, and that's where they are again. <laughs> uh, offensively, they're a zone blocking scheme uh, that will never change as long as our appearance is in charge. And uh, so, when you look closer at the personnel, 
uh, this personnel is better than Iowa's had in, in quite a few years. Uh, they're more explosive through the air, albeit Big Ten, Iowa. It's not Big 12 style. Uh, but A.J. Epineza is, is going to be a problem for everybody. Uh, you know, a defensive end, one of the top four or five play, prospects in next year's draft. Uh, last year he led the Big Ten with ten and a half sacks and didn't start. Uh, you know, 6'6", 280, uh, physical. Mo- Miami of Ohio neutralized him by basically lining up three guys um, and most of the time blocking him with two, especially in passing situations. Uh, Rutgers didn't quite do it as much, and then Iowa stunned him, and he had four hurries, a sack. He hit the quarterback for an interception. Uh, you know, major problem. Now, as far as offense goes, uh, left tackle this week, Tristan Wirfs, uh, was the one who had a 500-pound hang clean and beat Brandon Sheriff's school record and was very impressive doing that and has not allowed a sack in two years and is as athletic as any tackle in the country. Um, switching from left to right because Alaric Jackson, another one of their uh, pretty good players, is out with a knee injury. Uh, but primarily look what everybody will look at here is his quarterback. And Nate Stanley – uh, is a three-year starter. He's thrown six touchdowns, no interceptions this year. Uh, he's thrown 58 in his career. Um, he's approaching the, you know, Big Ten's upper echelon in that category. Uh, the, the probably the biggest loss that Iowa sustained last year was a tight end. Two two tight ends are you know first-round draft picks and T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fant, and uh, losing those two would be huge if they didn't have a receiving core that's finally coming of age and Iowa's uh, problems with the receiving core, you know, over the last pretty much decade uh, seems to have ended because, you know, from 2013 through 2016, they signed 10 freshman wide receivers and only one had more than 20 catches in his career and eight left with eligibility on the table. So their attrition was awful and, and it really negated anything they could do in the passing game. Well, now finally, with Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset, they've got a, a tandem that's representative of, of what you want to see in upper-level college football. And then uh, Oliver Martin's a transfer from Michigan and uh, is probably the most polished of the receivers. He, was gained, he gained immediate eligibility. He started a game last year for the Wolverines. He was considered a starter going into uh, this year. So it's a big loss for Michigan and it's a big game for Iowa. Still not quite there yet with the knowing everything in the offense, but he's close. Caught a touchdown in his first uh, um, reception in the first game. Now the opponents that they faced, uh, Miami of Ohio is a decent team. I would probably put it at the same level as a UNI. Uh, was six and six last year in the MAC. Pretty good. Um, you know, one of the Gabberts is, is a quarterback, Brett Gabbert. Uh, throws like his old, older brother, but uh, a little bit shorter, which is why he's at Miami of Ohio. Rutgers is uh, Kansas. So, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, 30 to nothing. Most unreal punting exhibition I've ever seen. I will say that. Uh, 10 punts uh, for. 48 yards average and uh, parked seven of them in the ten, inside the 20 and uh, four inside the five. It was just unreal. But other than that, it would have been 60 to nothing. So uh, I guess, I don't know if that's Cliff's version, Cliff's notes version, or if that's too long, but uh, that's kind of Iowa in a synopsis. 
No, I, I think that's great. It's, I'm curious, and I don't want to ask you this, Scott, and I'll ask Levi a similar question. I know that you primarily cover Iowa for the athletic. I know you you also obviously keep a pretty close eye on Iowa State, being there in the state. Looking at this particular matchup, where do you see the biggest concern from Iowa's side going up against this Iowa State team? I think there's probably one side of each on offense and defense. And number one is, Iowa struggled running the football last year, uh, averaged less than four yards a carry. And, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of reasons for that. One, the running backs were inexperienced and just kind of uncertain because Iowa's zone scheme is a little different than it's not certainly not a zone read. And uh, you've got to read the blocks a little bit quicker than what they were capable of doing. And then the, the other part was the interior blocking wasn't all that great uh, for Iowa last year. Now they have a, a freshman center, but freshman is a name only. He's actually been really good, and that's his name's Tyler Linderbaum. And I think the matchup with him against Ray Lima is going to dictate maybe not the outcome, but maybe the flow of the game, uh, because Ray Lima, I think everybody has immense respect for him and what he does, and that's not just uh, statistically. You know, it's it's basically the way he locks up um, offensive linemen and allows everybody else to flow to the football. So I think what if Iowa struggles running the football and it's very capable against a good defense to just you know struggle and, and gain three yards of carry or something I think that could really inhibit what Iowa wants to do offensively so I think the running matchup is really critical if whether Iowa can establish what it wants to on offense now defensively um, they've had some major injuries in the secondary and what was a strength going into the season is now kind of a weakness and I think everybody realizes that Iowa State, you know, didn't, you know, probably ran on a limited playbook going against UNI. And part of that was just because it had some new players. But you, you know that there's going to be more to it. And they're going to exploit, and Brock Purdy's capable of exploiting some of those issues in the secondary. And with some of the injuries, Iowa's probably going to stay almost exclusively 4 3. And is that going to keep them from. Uh, being able to match personnel. So I would say that the injuries in the secondary will cause a problem, you know, in the passing attack, uh, defending against Brock Purdy, who's obviously very talented and skilled in the RPOs, and then also just being able to establish the run. I, I would say those are probably the two biggest concerns I would say Iowa has going into this game. Yeah, that that matchup with Ray Lima should be definitely one to keep an eye on. He is a he is a stud of a guy, and I'm always interested to see how he uh, how he handles against good offensive lines, especially like like Iowa has. Levi, kind of similar question. What is the uh, what? Where's the weakness on Iowa State that concerns you the most against this Iowa team? Oh, it's undoubtedly with the tackles trying to somehow keep AJ Epinesa from out out of Brock Purdy's back pocket because <clears throat> last year. That's how, I mean, that's how Kyle Kemp got hurt in the first game of the season, basically, you know, in the, like, the first quarter. Um, the line blew, um, line blew a couple uh, couple assignments, and I, I don't remember if it was Epinesa or one of the Nelsons, maybe, that got to Kemp and, you know, messed up his knee. Um, now, I I will say that, so Epinesa is a problem. He's, I mean, he's a, probably, he's probably a top 10 pick in next year's draft, um, and He's he's probably going to end up sacking Brock Purdy at one point in time. I'm not gonna not gonna pretend that that's not gonna happen because for you know forever, longest time I can I can remember, 
the offensive line has been a big problem, certainly through the Matt Campbell era, not, not because of Matt Campbell, but just because of the personnel left over by Rhodes, that the, that the offensive line has been a problem. It's finally starting to come around. There's some, there's, there's talent there. Um, but the oldest guys there, unfortunately are still the Rhodes people that got left over, um, that aren't, aren't on the same level as, as Matt Campbell's recruits, but they're Matt Campbell's recruits are still young. Um, so right now it's holding on for dear life and hoping that Julian Good Jones can somehow deal with AJ Epinesa uh, a little bit because I was I was deep, I got a very good defensive line but most of their talent and Scott can correct me on this if he disagrees but most of the talent on the defensive line is concentrated at the defensive ends um, the D tackle is is decent enough um, but I, I've even been reading some stuff from the Iowa fans that they were not super impressed with the pass rush up the middle, like in the a gaps. Um, but the, but the defensive ends, obviously, you know, really wreak a lot of havoc, especially Epinesa. Um, so for me, it's, you know, I, I hate to drop as much emphasis on one player as I am because, you know, I was just always has a good front seven, just period. No matter who's there, the front seven is always good. Um, but Epinesa is kind of a different animal. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, the Iowa State coaching staff isn't, you know, quote unquote, giving him as much respect as I am. Where they're, you know, you're, you're aware of him, and maybe you put an extra, you put a tight end over there to help, you know, to help slow him down once in a while or something like that. But you're not, you know, totally changing changing your game plan around him. Um, but he is definitely a point of concern for me, especially because I would the interior of Iowa State's offensive line is generally really solid. The tackles are the questions, and unfortunately, Iowa's talent on the defensive line lines up with the weakness on Iowa State's offensive line. Yeah, you always hate when that happens, but that seems to happen quite a lot in every game. You know what, though? For a long time, it was just Iowa's defensive line was really good, and Iowa State's offensive line was really bad. <laughs> and you just had to kind of deal with it. And now, at least chunks of it are good and can be, <laughs> you know, a wash. Hey, you guys will take any positive on the offensive line after the way it's looked the last few seasons. You know, honestly, though, it, actually pass protection has been pretty deep actually has been decent the last couple of years i think last year the pass protection specifically was actually uh, it was it wasn't like top 25 or anything but it was like a top 40 or top 30 pass protection now running obviously they couldn't get any push couldn't do anything in the running game that's why you had to have dave montgomery there to have any success in the running game but in the alamo bowl they did have success getting, you know, in the running game. And actually, if you really, if you look at the Alamo Bowl and take out all the false start penalties, Iowa State's <laughs> offensive line dominated that game. Um, I mean, they were pushing why they were pushing Washington State's defensive line all over the field. And they did that against you and I too, who has another good front seven. You know, there were there was some spots where they weren't hundred percent consistent, but you know, like I said, first game of the season. Um, but it was very encouraging to watch run blocking. Now, pass blocking definitely didn't take a step forward. Maybe he took a step back. Um but Matt Campbell always has always built his offenses around running the football. So, you know, if you, if the offensive line can get push in the running game, that's much more helpful. So Scott, I, I want to ask you about the tight ends. Cause I want to get an edge up on the uh, other guys in my dynasty football leagues. Uh, obviously Hawkinson <laughs> and Fant are gone. Uh, I was kind of become a, an NFL tight end. I don't know if factories the white word, but um, certainly a school to keep an eye on when it's time to come fantasy football time. Um, who are the guys that tied in for Iowa right now? And, uh, and which one should we uh, be keeping an eye on in this game? 
they're two, they've got two tight ends that they use. And one is a senior, Nate Weeding. He was kind of their designated blocker last year uh, alongside, you know, Hawkinson was the best blocker they had, but, but Weeding was a close second uh, above fans. And in that regard, and he's, he's a good pass receiver. I wouldn't put him in the category with a lot of the other ones, but he's their primary inline guy. And, with the kind of the emergence of the wide receivers, he's not going to get nearly as many targets as, well, you know, most tight ends have gotten, let alone last year's. It's almost too hard to compare them or him to, to uh, you know, what they had. That's that's almost unfair. But uh, the but the main pass receiver is is a is a guy named Sean Byer who's from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and he came in the same class as as Fanton Hawkinson. Uh, they originally put him at wide receiver because he's uh, you know, kind of a different type of athlete, probably more like Fant in that regard. He's, you know, six six, you know, two forty, can jump, can do so many different things that they thought that was the best way to get him on the field. Well, they realized that he's got a tight end body, and then uh, so I caught one pass that was kind of behind him that I immediately turned to the person on my right and I just said, "Boy, Hawkinson returned, huh?" You know, and it was that kind of a catch, and uh, so I think he's, you know, he's this year he'll probably be matches that you know fan Hawkinson combined for in 13 touchdowns and almost 1300 yards that's yeah they, they, there's a drop off and that's not coming back Scott uh, first is let me just say thank you very much for coming on the show I really appreciate you uh donating some of your time for us today do me a favor for first off let me just say for everybody who is not subscribed to the athletic you are doing yourself a, a huge disservice. It first off, it's never full price. Like it's almost never full price to sign up. You should just do it. It is my birthday present to myself every year because I think it's that good. And they don't even have an Oklahoma State beat writer, and I still want to read it all the time. So Scott, do me a favor for everybody who wants to check out the fantastic work you do with the Athletic and their fantastic site. How can they do so? Yeah, on Twitter you can follow me. It's at Scott Dockerman, and uh, it's S C O T T D O C A T E R M A N. Check out the athletic. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, usually it's forty percent off. I don't think it is today, but it will be at some point. You guys enjoy game day, be the names, enjoy the game, and uh, make sure you grab a couple of uh, natties and bushes before they're uh, before they're all gone this weekend. Hey guys, a couple of things before we go. Just a reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the 1012 podcast so you don't miss a single episode during the football season. Two, rate and review the show. Five stars, please. It helps guests get the word out about the show to other people. Plus, we just like to know what you like and don't like. Just if you're going to give us one star, let us know why. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to be part of our first mailbag episode this month, shoot us your question. You can DM us on Twitter, at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast, or you can shoot it to us in an email. That's 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, word podcast, at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.